0: Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus.
1: read this morning's passage. It is in Matthew 3. And I added a couple verses at the beginning from the lectionary. This morning's lectionary passage is only 13 through 17, but I thought that some of the preceding verses were valuable uh, to this morning's sermon. So beginning in verse 1, the writer of Matthew writes, in those days... John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Jump down to verse 11. He says, I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands he will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out then jesus came from galilee to john at the jordan to be baptized by him john would have prevented him saying i need to be baptized by you and do you come to me but jesus answered him let it be so now For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, John, as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens. Oh, sorry. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Now this recent Friday was what's referred to as the epiphany. Who knows what the epiphany is? It's totally okay if you don't. From my understanding, it's also, is it Amish Christmas? Or what, what is is the day? There we go, so Orthodox Day for Christmas, got it, there we go. Okay, so there's a few things on Friday that happen. Uh, yes, so church history, we might call it, uh, yeah, we refer to it as the Epiphany. Uh, essentially, this day is a commemoration, a reminder of the Magi coming to Jesus. Uh, we often have them right there in the nativity scene, uh, but it's speculated that they didn't come for months, maybe even years after Jesus' birth. And so, just as the Gospels jump from baby Jesus all the way to him being in his 30s, uh, we too jump a few weeks later to, uh, we, we jump quite a bit of ways later to the Magi coming. And now, post the Epiphany, we are in this season called uh, the Epiphany, from now until the Lenten season, which uh, commences at the end of February, where it starts with uh, Ash Wednesday, and then from then Lent progresses. But for the next... Six or seven weeks, the church uh, universally takes this time in what's called the Epiphany to celebrate, to rejoice in the light that has come through Jesus and some of his earlier ministry uh, that we see in the Gospel accounts. Uh, This is why some cultures even don't let their kids open gifts until this past Friday because that's when Jesus received his gifts uh, I would have been so upset as a kid. Uh, all, all my friends are getting stuff on the... I've got to wait till after Christmas break? What? Uh, that would be intense. But anyways, so let's begin taking a brief walk through our passage this morning. I'm just going to look... I, I read those uh, preceding verses just for context, but I'm only going to look at 13 through 17. So, look at 13 with me. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. This is an intentional decision. Jesus has come. He's not like hanging out in the crowds and then he's like, okay, I'll walk, the, I'll walk down the aisle and get baptized. No, no, no. Matthew is say, stating explicitly that Jesus intentionally came to be baptized by uh, his cousin John. Although, we will add... Matthew doesn't note that he is his cousin. It's kind of interesting. It makes you wonder, does Matthew, or if this is Matthew, or someone, whoever wrote this gospel, do they actually know? Uh, Are they aware that John is Jesus' cousin? The only person who notes this is uh, Luke, which is an interesting little fun fact. Um, But anyways, verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now John, John's Gospel, I'm sorry, John's Gospel is the one, uh, Luke's Gospel refers to Jesus as his cousin, but John's Gospel, if you were to look at this story, which is in all four Gospels, uh, a rare instance, uh, John alludes to him as not being aware of him, and so unfamiliar with him, but it seems like he's unfamiliar with his nature, the reality that he is the God-man. That he, so it seems like, Even John's Gospel might be alluding to the fact that John knows who he is, but he didn't realize who he was. You keep going in verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Jesus concurs, right? He says, let's do this. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. This fulfillment or sorry, Jesus concurs that, yes, I should should be the one baptizing you, but still, he says, let's go forward. This moment, this instance needs to take place. There's fulfillment that needs to happen that that Matthew's pointing out to us here. This fulfillment is this bringing to reality or accomplishing of something, but what? What does Jesus say needs to be fulfilled? More on that in a moment. Let's keep talking through these verses real quick, and then we'll get into that. Verse 16, when Jesus had been baptized, just as He came up from the waters, suddenly the heavens were opened to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. This, eco- this uh, echoes Ezekiel, if you're familiar with the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 1. There's this inaugural vision. There's also a river that kind of supports the situation where it is uh, an unveiling of a new... Uh, A dawning of something new. And so similarly, there is this vivid imagery taking place here. This is a commissioning just as Ezekiel was being commissioned. And in verse 17, the writer says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's important for us to note that this is not Jesus becoming God. This is something that if you recall from our series in summer, that Uh, In particular, the the message on who is Jesus. This is something that in church history we sort of had to sort through and wrestle with theologically and the ramifications of it, that Jesus didn't become God, but that Jesus always was God. So this is not all of a sudden, hey, now he has become God. That was deemed a heresy a, a few centuries into the early church. But God says, this is my son. It's also uh, important to note that this is my son is a little different than the way Mark and Luke record it, where he says, you are my son. This version for Matthew, there's an announcement, there's an introduction, even a declaration, if you will, an unveiling, this is my son, and he's going to get things started. The kingdom is about to commence here. So allow me to draw your attention to three components of the baptism. The person being baptized, the purpose, and the power let's first look at the purpose being baptized or the person being baptized so up until this point in matthew's biography jesus hasn't said a word he's kind of been a a side character not not side but he's not the main vocal point Uh, he is not as central as he will become from here forward his presence has been felt but not entirely experienced yet Now notice again that it is John baptizing Jesus, not Jesus John. The student baptizing the rabbi, the sheep the shepherd, the sinful baptizing the sinless, and the servant the king. Frederick Dale Bruner in his uh, Matthew commentary, he writes, I consider this incident Jesus' first miracle. Kind of an interesting take, but the miracle of his humility. The first thing Jesus does for the human race is go down with it into the deep waters of repentance and baptism. Jesus' whole life will be like this. It is well known that Jesus ends His ministry on a cross between thieves. It deserves to be as well known that He begins His ministry in a river among sinners. From His baptism to His execution, Jesus stays low at our level, identifying with us at every point becoming as completely one with us in our humanity as in the church's teaching he is believed to be completely one with god in eternity but why would he do this Uh, this leads us to the purpose of his baptism why is jesus getting baptized john is saying he just told his audience a little bit earlier that this baptism is for the repentance of sins but is jesus sinful is jesus one Who sins? Uh, While at this point in the gospel, it hasn't claimed that Jesus is without sin, we know from other New Testament writers that Jesus was without sin. So why? Why would John do this? Well, Jesus tells John the baptizer right there, he says, It is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Are you clear now? Like, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? To begin, it's wise of us to ask what righteousness means, right? So when there's these little buzz phrases in your scriptures, uh, it's important for us to just ask, hey, what what does that word actually mean? Because every word, while it has a general meaning, uh, I think we know that words don't necessarily carry an inherent meaning, right? People ascribe meaning to words, and we alter them, uh, sometimes within a matter of years, So, how does Matthew use this word? Well, each generation, region of people, and sometimes even uh, people in your own household, right? Maybe parents, if you have teens, you might be familiar that the way they say some words, you're like, what does that even mean? Or phrases? Um, I hear that from a couple of you with, with teenagers who are very engaged on social media, that the words and phrases can be difficult to differentiate the distinct meanings. Take, for example, with us, uh, within the U.S., we've got these variances of words. So take the word wicked, right? Uh, what does wicked mean? It means awful, evil, something out there, right? It has this negative connotation. In the Northeast and in Southern California, uh, wicked was sick. And again, there's another one, right? I just used another one to define it. Sick is like rad, that's cool, that's awesome. Wicked, that's wicked. It's kind of surfer-skater talk. Uh, but the Northeast kind of utilizes this term. But for us in our part of the country here, we probably don't utilize that word in that manner. Uh, Take sugar. What does sugar mean in the South? What does it mean? Love, yeah, it's like I'm going to give you some sugar, I'm going to give you some kisses, right? Uh, But sugar for me is something that I'm addicted to and try and stay away from but never can. Um, But that's sugar, right? Dressing, I didn't know. I grew up with a different type of turkey, so we didn't have stuffing anyways, but from I always knew stuffing was stuffing until I met people whose stuffing was dressing. Whoa, different meaning, right? Dressing to me is ranch and Italian dressing and all these different things that, again, I don't eat those either. Surprise, surprise if you know my pickiness. Um, <laughs> or fix. Fix is an interesting word. Uh, have we heard fixing? And how do they use that in the South? It sounds like you probably know because your friend's in Texas. How do they use fixing? Um, I'm going to do this or I'm to um, Yeah, yeah, I'm fixing to go to the grocery store. I'm fixing to go shopping. I'm fixing to go out. And me, I'm like, well, I don't fix things. As you know, I call Ben Yoder to hire him to fix something. But, uh, if I were to fix something, it would be utilizing tools, right? That's what fixing is. Um, so, no, fixing is this, even these, these simple English words The last, well, second to last big one, pop, right? For me, pop goes the weasel. For you, um, it's soda. Uh, for me, a soda, you in, in my part where I was from, and you can actually look up these maps, right, of like what this word means in different parts of the country. And it's pretty funny. Uh, for me, a Coke is a soda. And you're like, a Coke is Coca-Cola. Yeah, no, it's like like Q-tip and tissue. And yeah, anyways, and Kleenex. Anyways, these words have variances of meanings. The most controversial I've learned here is this one. How do we say this? Reese's. Reese's, because their last name is Reese, and it's possessive, an apostrophe S. Reese's Pieces. It is Reese's family. Their last name is Reese, and it is theirs. Uh, But for some of us, we say Reese's PCs, and I say, why? We had a whole youth night discussion. This was not the bulk of the conversation. This was our after-hours conversation, in-depth theological debates on the uh, (laughs) nature of Reese's versus Reese's at Dairy Queen. Anyways, uh, these are words that are commonly that's, that's more of a joke one. But even, okay, let's take English across the pond versus us. We've got chips, right? Chips are French fries. They say chips, we say French fries. Biscuits. biscuits, I love biscuits, but when you tell me a biscuit is a hard cookie, no, it's a hard cookie, but over there, across the pond, if you watch the Great British Baking Show, it is different. Uh, pants, who knows what pants are? They're underwear. That's the way they say underwear. Yeah, it's their pants. Uh, first floor, if you were to get, get directions being in the U.K. and someone says, hey, that's on the first floor. It's not actually on the first floor. That's the, the next floor is the first floor. This is the ground level, and the next floor is the first floor. I'm like, what? Even that we can't agree on. Geography, and then the big one, football, right? Football. We have different definitions of what football is. So even these words in the English language have these variances. Ohio's got their own... Did anyone grow up outside of Ohio here? One guy. Nice. Okay. Where did you grow up? Central Pennsylvania. Central Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, what do we call a? Do you guys call it a vacuum cleaner? We call it a sweeper. I just learned this one. So Ohio's got their own. Ohio says a sweeper, and I've always known it as a vacuum cleaner. Uh, how many say wash? Are we washing our clothes? Or are we washing our clothes? We got some washers. My mother-in-law worships things and I always like to say what did you, what did you do? And she, and it takes her like three times, every time, no matter what, for her to be like, realize I'm messing with her and then I get a punch in the arm. Um, I also didn't know the trunk. Is the trunk called something different, the trunk of a car? Or no? Do we call it anything else? Does anyone call it the boot? No, there might be an old one. Okay, and then the other thing we do here in Ohio is uh, we make everything possessive. So J.C. Penney or J.C. Penney's? Kroger or Kroger's? It's Kroger. In fact, the only grocery store from Ohio, Bueller's, does it for you in the name (laughs) because they're like, that's just what we do in Ohio. We apostrophe S that name. Uh, but all those other ones, no, it's, yeah, it's not possessive, so it's kind of funny. Anyways, when reading, all that to say, these are examples of variances in language and how when we're looking at the scriptures, sometimes a word doesn't mean the same thing it meant to a different author, and sometimes that word doesn't mean the same thing that same author uses. If you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, he walks through uh, how we translate into one word, love, but there, there can be up to four different words utilized And there's different meanings behind that. And so it may have a different context. So when we're asking this, we're asking Matthew, what does this mean? How do you utilize the word righteous? It's important to keep this in mind. So the word the writer utilizes here can can be, for our time, defined as doing God's will. Doing God's will. In this act of being righteous... Matthew is utilizing this term as Jesus proclaiming his ambition to live a life of righteousness. So hence why in this gospel, right after this, he goes and gets, endures the temptation. He lives this righteous, ethical life in adherence to God, to his kingdom and his character. And then he goes on and proclaims the ethics of the kingdom, right? In what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through 7. Jesus is starting off this way in Matthew's Gospel. Here, Jesus is also transforming John's baptism. He's transforming it. John's baptism was for repentance. This becomes something more. Furthermore, the baptism of Jesus serves as the ceremonial procession for Jesus. So prior to a person of royalty in the ancient world uh, ascending to their throne or assuming their role, whatever it may be, there often was this ceremonial procession or anointing. So recently, we've witnessed something like this, which is kind of an interesting, unique situation, right? There's there's but a few monarchies left in the world, and so we saw, if you you tuned in, uh, the king of the UK. He just took over for Queen Elizabeth, and we were able to witness this type of thing for King Charles III. The interesting thing is, he has had his accession, but he has technically not uh, received his coronation, I believe is the term. So that will happen later on in May, where he will be fully, um, it's not that he's not king now, but it is in between, there's this time of preparation for the festivities, but also for him, and in his role that he is already is, but he is still becoming. Uh, gives the family and the nation a time to mourn, It's just an interesting thing, but we kind of have this, it's similar in that regard. It's not the same as to what is happening here for Jesus, but there is this type of um, practice throughout world history. Uh, Ben Witherington, in his commentary, he writes, In order to be seen as a righteous king, Jesus submits to the rite of purification, is publicly anointed by God for the office, and then is publicly proclaimed to be God's royal son. So the baptism of Jesus primarily serves as a means by which He assumes His throne. Was Jesus already king? Yes. Yet His baptism serves as this procession, this empowerment. And this leads us to our last point. Empowered to what? The power of the baptism of Jesus. What's the result of Jesus being baptized by John the baptizer? There's three results. Jesus is able to identify With the judged, rather than simply as a judge. In the former days, as the nation of Israel emerged from the waters of the Red Sea, right? They received God's law, and then they are deemed God's children. Similarly, as Jesus emerges from the Jordan, He receives God's Spirit and is deemed the Son of God. There's this identification with God's people, with humanity. Now, did baptism make Jesus king? We already said no, yet it served at the, as this demarcation of his kingship. But similarly for us, does baptism save us? No. At least our tribe doesn't believe that. Some do in Christendom. But historically, much of the church does not believe it. It is what saves. But it is a sign, it is a demarcation, it's an indicator of the covenant, of our relationship, of our place with God and that God has identified with us. Are you aware of this reality this morning? That Jesus identifies with you where you're at in this seat, uh, but in the seat that you're in currently in life, whatever may be going on. Whatever has happened to you, whatever will happen to you, Jesus identifies with you. Are you aware of this? He identifies you more intricately and intimately than we can fathom. Jesus can relate with you. The next point of the power of baptism is that the Spirit of God disp- descends upon Jesus. John's just indicated that Jesus was coming as this righteous judge. He, he tells them this is what he's going to do. He's going to come and tear things up. Like, this is going to be tough. He gave these stark warnings, and yet the Spirit descends like a dove. This connotes for us that while judgment is coming, there is a greater peace that characterizes the kingdom of God that is being ushered in in Jesus' inauguration in this time. It's a different manner than we expected. Um, As we're familiar, possibly, some believed that the Messiah would come with a sword and wage war, but the rule and reign of Jesus is different, though. Have you seen this? Have you witnessed this? Maybe in the world, or in your own life, or anything in between? In your church community? In your city? Have you experienced this reality? The counterintuitive ways in which the God's Spirit works? This upside-down nature of the kingdom. It's been noted that Jesus achieves victory through defeat. He ascends to His throne by descending to hell. Uh, He speaks loudly through remaining silent. He acquires wealth through giving it all away. He brings life through death, receives glory through enduring shame. He becomes king through becoming a servant. It is different. And lastly, the last point for us to note in regards to the purpose of the baptism of Jesus. The Father expresses joy in and approval of Jesus now again at this point it's not that God is not the father is not approving of the second member of the Trinity Jesus no it is just this reaffirmation right similarly parents if you uh, well hopefully you treat your kids this way that your kids are always your kids but throughout life they make you proud right it's not that they're not that you're not proud of them throughout your life But there are moments that you reaffirm for them, their place, their position in your heart, in your family, in your lineage, their place as descendants of your family. Some of us, though, may have grown up with parents that were difficult to please. Or maybe we had parents other than our biological parents. Perhaps some of us didn't grow up with any fill-in parents. Maybe you even lost your parents at a young age. There may have been this desire to please parents, right? Or please someone else. Uh, Or some perhaps can swing the other way and because we know that is an impossible endeavor, we've reacted the other way and say, I'm going to live my life only to please me. Because that's a tireless endeavor. But for the follower of Jesus, we know and can trust that the Father's words here spoken of the Son, are for us too. And so the question for us is, do you know this? Do you know this fact this morning? Do you feel this reality? Do you experience it? Do you believe this truth? When God looks at us, when God looks at each of you who are in Christ, God sees who Jesus has made us to be. We are God's children, and God is pleased. Let me pray for us and then I will invite the team up for uh, concluding musical worship. God of grace and glory, you call us with your voice of flame to be your people, faithful and courageous, as your beloved Son, embracing his mission in the waters of baptism, inspire us with the fire of your spirit to join in his transforming work. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There, you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship, or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.